Greetings and salutations, my friends, and welcome to the show dedicated to revisiting films, albums, and games and asking anyone for seconds. I am your host, Dave, and today we're travelling back to 2011 to see whether Lulu, the odd pairing of Metallica and Lou Reed, is worth a reappraisal. So, I can hear you asking, what is Lulu? Well, Lulu was recorded during April to June 2011 and later released in November of the same year. This was Lou Reed's final studio album before his eventual death in October 2013. Lou Reed, of course, being famous for playing with the Velvet Underground. So, the idea of the album was originally said to have come from both Lou Reed and Metallica playing together at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's 25th anniversary concert, where they both teamed up together and played Sweet Jane and the Velvet Underground's White Light, White Heat. Such was the chemistry between them, collaboration was due. Was it for the best? Well, that's something that's in dispute by everybody. So looking back on it, even the band Metallica looks back on the album and knew that it was going to be somewhat hated in some respects. Lars Ulrich, Metallica's drummer stated in 2012 the hate was more spiteful than anyone had prepared for. When Metallica do impulsive riffing and Lou Reed is reciting abstract poetry about German bohemians from 150 years ago, it can be difficult to embrace. Even in 2017, Kirk Hammett, Metallica's lead guitarist, looked back at Lulu and said it was one of the most important albums that he'd ever been a part of in his life. So, the original plan was for Metallica to record some of Reed's unreleased tracks. But during the search, they found some music and songs for a production called Lulu. These tracks were based on two of Frank Vedekind's 20th century morality tales called Erdgeist, the English being Earth Spirit, and Boucher de Pandora, which, if you hadn't guessed already, means Pandora's box. In the story of Lulu, basically, we meet Lulu, she becomes a prostitute, sold into slavery, and ultimately, she is killed by Jack the Ripper. Fortunately for us, though, all parties involved decided to focus on Lulu, and out of all the demos, better or for worse, the album was born. So Lulu debuted at number 36 in the Billboard 200 and sold 13,000 copies in its first week. That is quite a lot. But nonetheless, upon its release, we have many differing reviews. So while doing research for the podcast, I decided to have a look on the aggregator website Metacritic. And Lulu sits at a score of 45 out of 100 on there, which... You know, very nearly 50%. That's perfectly acceptable. So, as with any aggregator website, you have reviews. And oh boy, are there some reviews on there. So, I've picked up a couple of quotes of my favourites from my favourite reviews. So, the AV Club said that the album is an utter wreck that curiously, miraculously, might have been great. Um, I'm not really sure I agree with that, but we'll move on to that shortly. 
the Chicago Tribune, saying Lulu is a work that invites derision, an album that wallows in a tar pit of ugliness. Again, I can kind of see their point, but a little bit harsh. However, my personal favourite review is actually from Entertainment Weekly. And I quote verbatim, The bulk of Lulu sounds like your dad's drunk friend reciting his self-penned erotica over a melting reload cassette. Now, if that hasn't made you laugh, I don't know what will. So now that we've got all of the exposition dump out of the day, and we actually know what this strange beast is, it's actually time to ask... Anyone for seconds? Marry me, marry me, marry me. I want you as a wife. Before I get into my contemporary overview of the Lulu album, I shall say now that I've already heard the album. As with the rest of the world, we were all introduced to the lead single, The View. The first time I heard it, I was overcome with many thoughts. Mostly, what on earth is this? Even though it was weird, heavy, and with a strange man rambling over the top. Initially, I was sceptical. I wanted to see how the album would fare. Not long after the view was released, the album followed suit. And, well, I didn't hate it. I mean, sure, it wasn't the album I expected. It was something different. It was an avant-garde art rock concept album by the best-selling band in metal, Anne Lou Reed. As I said before, this is not a Metallica album, and I tried to keep that in mind. So I revisited the controversial album with a new purpose. Does it stand up now that the hype mania around it has died? More importantly, is it worth everyone's time? This time around, I had no preconceptions of what to expect. On comes track one, Brandenburg Gate. Now, for me, track one of any good album should set the tone and give an overall impression of how the album is going to sound. So within the first... Maybe minute, two minutes of Brandenburg Gate, I'd say mission accomplished. You've got Metallica riffing, Lou spouting lyrics with no care in the world. So, so far, so good. Fantastic, solid start. I honestly can't see what the hate is for with this album. Granted, you do have to readjust after one, after hearing Lou about wanting to cut a woman. Track two, The View. It's the lead single. The track with the weird video by Darren Aronofsky. That's right. If you didn't already know, Darren Aronofsky critically acclaimed director directed the video for Metallica and Lou Reed's The View. So in case you didn't already know as well, it's the track where James Hetfield screams that he is a table. Now I actually like this track. The guitars sound chunky and heavy. Lou lays down his avant-garde poetry with, with aplomb. I just really wish the drums were a little more interesting and not so... I'll tell you how I'll put it. I will put it how... Lars Ulrich puts it during the recording session of St. Anger in the Some Kind of Monster film. The drums, they, can, they sound kind of stock. It sounds like the kind of thing that you would get on a music maker. So, bum, 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 bam. It's boring. It needed to be more energetic. Not even more energetic. It just needed to be something else completely different. So, even Kurt's quasi-solo come... Phil thing towards the end isn't that bad but did I mention the most important of all Hetfield is a table
track two finishes. So after the view, we get to pumping blood. And my God, does it start with a punch to the gut. Metallica in fine form as they lay down the more heavier backing tracks of the album. Things are looking up. How did this album gain so much hate, I wondered to myself, as I listened intently, fully immersed in the album. Then Lou says it. The line that kills my concentration. If I waggle my ass like a dog prostitute, you think less of me. Waggle my ass like a dog prostitute, coagulating heart, pumping blood. I laugh, and sadly, as I'm immensely immature, lose my focus as I imagine a seven-year-old man on all fours, shaking his butt with amused onlookers. What is my life? The track comes to a crashing, building crescendo after the frantic guitar work leaves you feeling breathless. Mistress Dread starts once again with an oral soundscape that marches head forth into a fast, galloping chug of the track. This is not one of the album's stronger tracks, given how repetitive that riff is and lose somewhat strange lyric recital. Although it's not the strongest track on the album, it works well within the confines of it and it keeps you somewhat engaged. So this is the highlight of the whole damn album next to track five, Iced Honey. One, two, three. It is the best track. Why wasn't it picked as a single to showcase the album? It's beggar's belief that they didn't, and they went with The View, which is just bad in comparison with Ice Honey anyway. So Metallica and Lou Reed are working in harmony here, sharing the singing duties between James and Lou. It's a perfect hard rock backing track as Lou triumphantly sings about love. It's a truly perfectly formed song, and unfortunately in my eyes, this is where Lulu starts to lose its steam, which is a shame given how good it's actually been up to this point. So, round about now, we're about halfway through the album. And you're probably thinking to yourself, you know, it can't be that bad. Well, at 87 minutes long, it's a mammoth undertaking. And by this point, I was getting a little bit tired. But you know what? I was going to go with it. So another landscape of guitars introduces us to Cheat On Me. It's here that we get string accompaniment for the first time. It's sparing you use and it adds a sense of drama and theatre to the proceedings, which is much needed at this point because I am exhausted. Sadly, it doesn't amount to much as the song meanders. Not really sure where it's going until we hit the final minutes and which again builds to a crushing, bruising crescendo leading into track seven. By the time we get to track seven, frustration, which is ironically how I'm feeling after 40 minutes of listening to Lulu, we get another fantastic sounding track. We get competent drums, catchy riff that flows well, and Lou again shouting lyrical about being a prostitute. And then it stops dead with random drum hits. And Lou, just what are you doing, man? He's shouting that he's spermless like a girl. I know it's a concept album, but by now I'm truly get ready, frustrated, <laughs> see what I did there, by the seemingly randomness of the lyrics. I realise I'm probably missing a trick with it, but for me, it's like someone has badly translated the book and then rearranged the sentences for no real reason. Still though, it can't get any worse and there can't be much longer left of the album, as the band kicks into high gear, once again distracting me with my intense headbanging. So then we get to track eight. Little Dog. Well... 
Why it wasn't a part of the next track, I'll never know. For me, Little Dog is absolutely pure filler. It doesn't add much. You've got some erratic acoustic guitar foreshadowing the next track. Even the wailing electric guitar that comes in about halfway through doesn't really add much. I'm I'm not going to lie. I was really tired by this point and I wanted to stop. And I, and I looked at the track list and I thought there's only two left after this. And we're nearly an hour in. And I'm, you know, I'm going to get through it even though I'm starting to lose interest. So Lou reading Hallucination on Dragon makes me instantly think of the Imagination Land episodes of South Park. And I'm laughing intentionally again. What is this? They run through your hair, hallucination, hallucination. Nation, imagination. Oh, you think you're so special. Imagination. That there's no law meant for you. But what's that I hear? Guitars come in again and I lose Imagination Land once again. And tapping my foot to those evil riffs while Lou rants is a welcome reminder that this album has some genuinely great hooks under its hood. Even the strings come back to amp up the tension. It works well and we reach the album's magnum opus. Say hello to Junior Dad. Now I genuinely like this track as an album closer. It's understated, somewhat hypnotic in its cyclical nature. My only criticism is that it's 20 minutes long. Now, I like prog rock and such, but there's no need for this to go on for as long as it does. The 10 minute outro just boggles my mind. Why? It's almost as if Lou said, we've been given 90 minutes to fill. You better believe I'm going to do that. I'm sure there's a reason for it, but right now I can't see it. Now, honestly, if you didn't know... The track itself is 20 minutes, 20 minutes, and you just sit there and it keeps going and going and going and it's so long, even though the main bulk of the track itself is actually only the first 10 minutes with singing and very weird phrases like a monkey then to monkey. I can't get my head around it, but my God, was I singing it around work the next day. A monkey then to monkey, Gunny. A monkey then to monkey, Gunny. A monkey then to monkey, Gunny. A monkey then to monkey. So, to answer the question, is Lulu a great album? No, not really. Is it worth a listen? Undoubtedly, the fact that it even exists in the first place should be reason enough. There's moments on this album that are truly fantastic in my eyes. Sure, it's a confusing mix of heavy metal and poetry, but surely good music should challenge the listener. If you cut down the album, there is a great 50 to 60 minute art metal album in there. There's just a lot of baggage surrounding it, which is a shame. Just remember, if you do decide to go back in and listen to this, 
You've got to go in with an open mind. And remember that this is all Lou Reed's show. Metallica are merely the backing band. They're merely the orchestra hidden in the back, the shy show, to Lou Reed himself. That's what sunk the album when it was released. People didn't understand that it was essentially a Lou Reed joint. And that happened to feature Metallica. So if you're willing to spend nearly 90 minutes listening to Lulu, you will get something from it, even if it's that James Hetfield is indeed a table for search tanking to leave his keys on. <laughs> Joke. Funny. I did the meme. You can't hate me now. So thanks so much for bearing with me while I record episode one. It's going to be a very long-winded process for me to edit and things. But you know what? We're going to get there. If you've enjoyed this, please do leave a like, subscribe on wherever you get your podcasts from. I want to give a particular special shout out to Anchor for being the podcast place where I host this. Yeah, this isn't really working. I don't really do this. Anyway, um, if you just want to leave a like, subscribe, comment, I am on Twitter at anyone podcast. So please come say hello. And right now I'm going to leave you with a clip of my favourite thing that has ever come from the album, Grand Metallica. Hey Thank you, good and good night. Looking at that turtle peak, it made me realise I'm no spring chicken myself. I can feel that clammy hand on my shoulder. Wait, it's my hand. This elevator only goes to the basement. Someone made an awful mess down there.